Welcome, conversations that highlight fascinating ways people are impacting the lives of those who are vulnerable. Impact Conversations with Dawn Mansky. This Impact Conversation is brought to you by Made for Freedom, the social enterprise with products made by survivors of human trafficking and marginalization. Made for Freedom is fighting human trafficking with style. Welcome to Impact Conversations. Over the past several years, I've met some amazing people doing fascinating things to help empower marginalized populations, alleviate poverty, prevent human trafficking, and come alongside the most vulnerable people in our world. I'm Don Mansky, and our conversation today is with Tracy Schott. Tracy is the producer-director of Finding Jen's Voice, the award-winning documentary about intimate partner homicide featured in Voices for Change. She has produced, written, and directed hundreds of projects, including short films, TV commercials, and content. Tracy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Dawn. I'm happy to be here. You're welcome. Tracy, I have to tell you, I have heard about intimate partner abuse, and we met a year ago in Dallas, and I was so excited to hear you talking about this, this film you had produced, Finding Jen's Voice, and excited to learn more about that. But I'm just not real familiar with intimate partner homicide. What kind of numbers are we talking about here? The numbers are pretty horrific. If you look worldwide, um, 50,000 women are killed each year by wow. intimate partners or family members. Um, the world is not really a very safe place for women. And, right. you know, prior to uh, the coronavirus, I was, I was saying, you know, if, if we had any other disease that was killing 50,000 women, uh, people a year, you know, the World Health Organizations would jump in and say, we got to do something about this, right? Right. Um, and, you know, little did I know that um, that was uh, just around the corner when I actually wrote that. And, you know, but it, the reality is that's been going on for years. Um, and it's the world just isn't safe for many women. We tend to think that that happens in third world countries, you know, that we're talking Africa, Asia, you know, the Middle East, India. Sorry. India. Sorry, folks. It's also happening here in the United States. Um, for years, we've been looking at a statistic of three women killed each day by an intimate partner. However, in the last few years, the number has been climbing. Um, and we're seeing that in 2017, the numbers were more than four women a day killed by an intimate partner. Oh, wow. When we talk about an intimate partner, we're talking about a husband ex-husband, boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. Um, the majority of people killed by their intimate partners are women killed by men. And that is more than 90% of all intimate partner homicides are, are women killed by men. Um, there is a problem also within the LGBTQ population, um, which the numbers we don't really know as much about because the research really hasn't been done. Um, and it's only, those numbers are only just coming to the forefront. Um, and some men are also killed by their intimate partners. Um, but frequently, men who are killed by intimate partners are, um, there's also a history of intimate partner violence against women in those relationships. So it's, it's a big problem. 
Um, one in three to four women, 27% of women, as reported by the CDC, 27% of women are abused in the United States in their lifetime. Really? 27%. So that's more than one in four. Oh my and in goodness. some in some uh, studies, it's one in three women have a history of physical abuse. The physical abuse is only just one aspect of intimate partner violence, because really the scariest part of intimate partner violence happens within the power and control within a relationship where the intimate partner is controlling your entire life. They control your finances. They control who you see, who you talk to. They're looking over your shoulders when you're on the computer. They limit who you're allowed to, to talk to on Facebook, you know, or they say no Facebook at all because that's where you might meet somebody else. It's extreme jealousy in those relationships. Mm-hmm. So these intimate partner violence is um, much bigger than black eyes and broken arms. Yeah. So with the with the people you're listing off. I usually think of it as someone you're living with, but not necessarily because you're talking ex-husbands and ex-boyfriends. So is that, yeah, and is that very common? Yes, it's it- very common. And in fact, the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is when uh, the victim tries to leave the perpetrator because uh, he's losing control. Right. right? So if you have a, a relationship that is based on one per- person controlling the other, and that person decides they're done and they're going to leave, the risks to that person actually go up. So we hear all the time, why doesn't she just leave, right? Mm-hmm. It's not very safe. It's not safe just to walk out the door. You have to safety plan. You have to have support. You have to plan for it. Right. And um, that's not always uh, understood by a lot of people, including victims who underestimate um, the danger that they're in. There's been a lot of research done, Dawn. Um, the research on intimate partner violence has been going on for more than 40 years. Wow. And um, uh, we know a lot. Mm. The researchers know a lot. Yeah. The professionals know a lot. The media knows nothing. victims uh, only know their own experience and what they've learned from other people. Um, There's a real disconnect in the field between what is known um, by the people who know Mm -hmm. and what is not known by, by the vast majority of the public who need to know in order to stop this. When so many people, when one in four people is a victim of abuse, you know somebody. I know somebody, whether you know it or not, somebody mm. in your life is a victim of intimate partner violence, and it's right. not going to stop until you um, until we deal with it. And we it, it takes a collective will. You know, when you're doing a massive social change, mm-hmm. and when one four people is a victim of physical abuse, then we know that that's part of our our social fabric. It's right. part of how we, it's part of our culture. It's how we talk to each other. It's how we exist with each other. To make that change, it takes massive will um, from all sectors of our society. And to teach young ladies about this is, this is appropriate behavior and this, you know, just the whole healthy relationships versus not. Yeah. Is- and not just young ladies, but young men. Mm, yeah, you know, I'm the mother of two sons. 
you know, mm. and, uh, uh, you know, I've had conversations with them. This is appropriate behavior. You know, this is not, that's controlling. That's not okay. You know, right. um, you know, we have to teach all young people what a healthy relationship looks like, because there's not a lot of role models out there. And if you don't grow up within a really healthy relationship and, you know, none of us is perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're all growing and learning, you know, we, I'm sure that I've set bad examples for my kids at times, you know, but mm-hmm. that, but you, it takes, um, focus will to make it happen. You know, you've got to think about it. So, you know, we, we need to talk to educators. We need to talk to parents. Um, and on, you know, I've, I've, on this new website, I'm doing training for police, for law enforcement, training for healthcare professionals, you know, really trying to help people who have the ability to, um, intervene, mm-hmm. um, give them the knowledge and the basic understanding. So I always say what I'm offering is really domestic violence 101, but it's a lot of information that most of us don't have. Right. So how did you tell us a little about your background and how you got so passionate about this? So I was a social worker. I have an MSW. I was a child and family therapist. Um, and um, I did that work for about 15 years. And then after my second son was born, I was kind of burnt out. And I was watching my, I was watching my older son watch television, you know, and I'm looking at how impacted, how much power the media had over my son. And I was protecting him, you know, he was not watching, you know, South Park when he was five, you know, right. Um, he was watching Barney, but I was going, <laughs> really, is this really the best that PBS can do? You know, can, can we do a little bit better than Barney, you know? And so I, I tell the story that my husband came home from lunch one day and my son was playing, um, uh, with his trains on the floor and my, the, the baby was sleeping and I was watching Barney and my <laughs> husband was like, what you doing? <laughs> like, watching Barney? Because I can see that. Why? <laughs> Why are you watching Barney? That's the bigger question. This I'm is like, what I've can't... been reduced to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe that this is the best PBS can come up with. I could write a better children's television show than this. Mm-hmm. No, I have a background in child development as a child and family therapist. He goes, I think you should. Like, I think he was really worried for my own personal health. So <laughs> I... I started writing and I sat down and I wrote a children's television show and ended up going back to school to learn video production. And um, uh, the children's television show never really went anywhere, but um, I ended up becoming a producer and was working um, and with another company and just started my own uh, company, Shot Productions, in 2011, March of 2011. And I was two weeks into it. And I got a call, a phone call from a friend of mine who told me that her niece had just been murdered Mm. by her boyfriend. Wow. And um, she was two months pregnant. Oh. And she said, I want you to tell Jen's story. I think we should do a documentary. And I said, 
man, you know, I really did not want to do a documentary <laughs> film. I mean, when I hear documentary films, what I hear is we are going to be fundraising, grant writing, working for free, you know, and yep, that's ended up what ended up happening. I was like, um, and you're, <laughs> you're grant writing right now, right? <laughs> I'm always grant writing. I'm always fundraising. It's, Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I like started my own business to like, you know, be profitable. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> I, understand any, I, but while I was on the phone with her, literally, I just did a Google pregnancy mm. and homicide. And I saw this research study saying that homicide was the leading cause of death to pregnant women. And I thought, wait a minute, how, how is that possible? It's the leading and, it's the leading cause of death to pregnant women. In that particular study, and wow. it's been duplicated in other studies through the years. Now, depending on what else has been going on, sometimes um, suicide is um, mm. the most the leading cause of death, and sometimes drug overdoses. But one of the things that they found across those three leading causes of death is um, the common thread is intimate partner violence. Mm. So. Intimate partner violence is connected to drug abuse, is connected to human trafficking, is connected to suicide and homicide. I mean, it's it's um, connected to addiction. Um, you know, more than 90% of women who are in rehab have a history of intimate partner violence or sexual violence. Oh my goodness. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a big thread. So I I started down this path. I, mm-hmm. I was incensed, first of all, that we were just coming off of five years of the Scott and Lacey Peterson trial in the nightly news, and nobody was talking about the research. They were referring to like Scott Peterson as this handsome guy who just snapped. Right. No, no. He did not just snap. Mm-hmm. He... Um, you know, he, he planned it. It it was, um, you know, it was premeditated murder, right? That's not snapping. Mm -hmm. Premeditated murder is not snapping. And Jen's murder, it was premeditated murder. He spent three weeks planning her execution. Um, wow. Because he was married and he did not want her to have a baby. Um, they had been in a relationship for almost three years when he murdered her. Oh my. So um, I, I, this, this kind of unraveled for me all of these layers of intimate partner violence that I wasn't aware of. Um, so I ended up doing this film, and it took four years to make the film. It's been released since 2015. Um, nice. And, you know, a lot of people have seen it. Um, uh, a lot of people in the world of domestic violence, you know, of the intimate partner violence. Like I always say, I'm preaching to the choir. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. The choir loves my hymn, but I really like, um, you know, the non-believers to see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's those outside of there. So those conferences that like the Crimes Against Women, Crimes Against Mm -hmm. Children, I actually, for the people putting on the conferences, it doesn't, sound real flattering, but I call them horrible conferences because they're these amazing conferences with all these people fighting these horrible issues. You know, like it would be beautiful if we didn't have to have a conference 
that specifically addresses crimes against women. But yeah, I can totally see getting the word out to the average person that needs to know about this. So I have, I do have one other question with the, just the statistics or the frequency of this. And that is what, how does that change when there's a child involved? I mean, obviously you just talked about when the woman is pregnant, then her chances, then the homicide is more likely. But what if they have a child and she feels obligated to allow that relationship? So um, having a child gives the abuser that much more control because it's, it's leverage, you know, mm-hmm. um, people, people who are um, homicidal, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of sociopath. they're sociopaths, you know, I mean, if you, if you truly believe that it's okay to take somebody's life um, because they, they're not acting the way you want, they're not, these are people who are terribly much, they're, they're capable of, really connection, right? So mm-hmm. the child becomes another tool in in the their toolbox of control, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do this, I'm going to, you know, hurt the child. And one of the things that we've learned um, is that if there is a child in the home who is unrelated to the abuser, a mm-hmm. stepchild, a child from a previous relationship, the risks of homicide shoot up oh wow so um it, you know that's just a statistical um fact and it's one of the things that uh, dr jackie campbell who's in my film who's one of like she's like the preeminent uh researcher in um domestic violence been doing it for over 40 years um she has developed a danger assessment scale and worked on the lethality assessment program. And these are um, tools that are used with um, survivors of abuse and healthcare workers and um, first responders, police, to help um, identify those really um, dangerous relationships that are likely to become lethal if the right intervention doesn't take place, right? And one of the one of the um, questions that is shows high risk is the um, presence of a non-related child in the home. Mm. So, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah, that would make sense, I guess. So you mentioned something about a new website. Yes. I, it, it's launched recently. Is that correct? It launched uh, early earlier this year, um, soft launch, you know, because every time I look at it, I find one little thing <laughs> that I want to change, driving my, the tech team crazy. Uh, but it's called voicesforchange.net. Uh, four is the number four. Um, so voicesforchange.net. I'm streaming the film. And up until recently that I was doing that for $4.99 on, on iTunes, you know, streaming rental. Um, but COVID happened. COVID did and, happen. And um, one of the things that we know is that uh, the risk for survivor victims of abuse has really gone up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, social quarantine is stressful for all of us. Right. But um, 
for a victim of abuse, that isolation um, can really uh, be a powerful tool um, for an abuser to up the ante and really um, it's, it's, it's dangerous. So it, you know, it's been referred to by some as a ticking time bomb. You know, mm. if you're stuck in the stuck in the house with an abuser who is worried about money, who's maybe drinking, who's stressed out, is losing control of the rest of his life. Where does he where does he put his energy? Mm-hmm. You know, to 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 the spouse or girlfriend. Um, so there's been a real um, there's been a climb in calls to the hotlines, uh, domestic violence hot, hotlines worldwide. Um, really? And a lot of shelters are full. Mm. So I just kind of wanted to raise aware. I wanted to do something, you know, right. it's like we're all kind of feeling helpless around uh, what can we do to help out. So I've been offering the, the free, the film for free. So at, that's great. April and through the end of May, I, anybody can, um, you know, go on, you have to log in, you have to give me your email address. That's not a big <laughs> ask. <laughs> That's the, that's the ticket of admission. Um, and then you'll get, you, you can watch the film. Um, and it's a 73 minute film. Um, it has a lot of information in it. A lot of researchers um, have you know, provided their wisdom. It's about Jen. It starts out about Jen, but then it kind of goes into a bigger story about what domestic violence really is. And it kind of follows my own path of figuring this out. Mm. Um, you know, I have a master's degree in social work. I thought I was pretty smart. <laughs> I thought I was pretty well informed um, until I started doing this film and I realized how much I didn't know. And if I didn't know it, I was pretty sure a lot of people didn't know it. And so I kind of wanted to get that information out. The film features 11 women who survived intimate partner homicide attempts. Oh my. And it, each of them, you know, we hear a little bit of their stories. The website includes some of them as bloggers. Mm. So they're um, continuing to tell their stories online. Um, and it's an opportunity for people who visit the site to actually interact with them and, and they can you know, write comments. It's a controlled site. This is not Facebook. This is not social media. This is not the wild, wild west of social media. I'm dealing with survivors of, um, you know, intimate partner homicide attempts. So I'm very protective. I'm like the mother hen with them, you know, so any comments that are made, they have to be approved. You Mm -hmm. know, I'm not, I'm not allowing trolls or, you know, people to go on and, and just use the form as a way of abusing. The other thing that I'm doing on that website is I'm um, inviting um, other researchers and professionals and people associated with um, providing services to victims of intimate partner violence to also blog. So my big connection, my big goal here is to create that connection. You know, Mm, as I said, you know, there's the field tends to be like, survivors are over here doing their thing and just scrambling to stay alive and you know the researchers are doing their things learning all this information the professionals are trying to scramble to provide services but it doesn't feel like they're they're really connected as much as they could be so that's my goal is just to see this kind of just be a place where people can um 
connect with each other and connect with other resources. There's a lot of organizations providing services, and I try to list those services as well on the website. Just providing a network for... It's a networking tool. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. That is very cool. When I got the URL, I couldn't get .com, um, so I got .net, and it turns out that 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 makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Networking, you know. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) So what are some, what are some ways that uh, the average person can, can just kind of be aware of, you know, kind of keep an eye out or help in a situation that they suspect this is happening? So um, I always say the first, the first thing we can all do is just learn more, right? And so watch the film. I mean, the, the researchers provided like some really solid, um, you know, data-driven information, but the survivors put a human touch on. You know, they, really, they really help us connect with our hearts. So I really wanted the film to be not just about all this information that from your head, you know, I wanted it to right. connect to your heart because I really believe that until really people connect with their hearts, they're not really going to change. You know, they're not going to be, it just becomes statistics, you know. Stories so. really bring it home and make it, I mean, I, I know stories that I've heard over the years that, have impacted me. So yeah, that's what a wonderful way to kind of bring the reality to to people and and through the through stories of these women. And and it's a lot of, you know, we I we didn't do reenactments, you know. We don't show, it's not graphic. Mm-hmm. Um but it when you hear firsthand stories, you know, it it does it does move you. And it kind of I always say, so we want to move the dial. So kind of getting back to your, your question, you know, the, the, watch the film, you know, mm-hmm. learn, learn more about what intimate partner violence really is. Mm-hmm. Um, I lay out what, what I call the anatomy of an abusive relationship, which talks about how it progresses, how it starts with this romantic guy or person sweeping you off your feet and making you feel like you're so special. And then this, it becomes like you become isolated. Like you're, you're like, you're the only two people in the whole world, you know, but that turns into um, a scary place. So what starts out as romance turns into jealousy and fear and control. And um, eventually that can all escalate to physical violence and even homicide. So those, there, there are warning signs, there are red flags. And, you know, we know these things, but not right. everybody knows them or recognizes them. So we, I try to give people that, um, that reference point. Um, so I, I say, start there, start from a place of knowledge. I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm a research nerd, you know, I, I'm <laughs> one of those people that I took me four years to do the film because I felt like I needed to know everything there was to know about intimate partner violence before I did the film. Um, but so you start from a place of knowledge, but then you also want to start from a place of empathy and non-judgment. Mm. You do know somebody who is, um, you know, in a, an abusive situation. You know, um, my father-in-law used to say, never judge somebody until you've left a mile in their shoes. Right. Um, and I, 
truly believe that. I believe that everybody's path um, you know, gets you, you get there um, not on purpose. Right. Right. Nobody. I've never met a person in my entire life who said, "I'd I'd really like to be a victim of abuse." Right. How can I get there? Right. No little girl dreams that. No. no. You dream of Prince Charming taking you off on his white steed. Yes. But you don't realize he's taking you to um, the castle tower. He's going to lock you in there and not let you out. So that's the part of the fairy tale that we don't mm-hmm. tell little girls. Right. right? Um, and part of my goal is also to change the conversation in the media mm. so that we're giving you know, children a better view of um, what a healthy relationship is and what, 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 what are our goals, right? And we're seeing some of that in children's media. Um, which kind of brings me full circle back to where I started in, in this field is interest in children's media. Um, the Gina Davis uh, Media Institute uh, has been doing lots of research mm. on um, girls and how they are reflected in children's uh, media, television, websites, games, movies, and really trying to move the dial so that um, we see more competent girls with a brain, in, with a brain, <laughs> in media, yeah. right? Um, and uh, they've done, you know, they've done a lot of research, and it's think it it doesn't take a whole lot to, to move the dial. It just takes again that coming back to that collective will. And Gina Davis did this, and she said, "I have, you know, because of who I am." I have connections at the studios. So I went and knocked on the doors of the studios and said, hey, why are you showing a guy doing this? Why can't, what happens if 50% of your main characters are girls instead of boys? Ah, right. And what they, the studios started finding out was those stories become their most profitable. I would not be surprised. (laughs) <laughs> you look at Frozen, you look at Mulan, yes. you know, like, you know uh, tw- Twisted, or the, the new one that's out right now about Rapunzel, right? Oh, I, mean, I haven't these, seen that one, yeah. I haven't seen it yet either, which is why I can't quite, I think it's Twisted. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's the, um, there is research showing that if you actually change the, uh, the narrative, mm-hmm. Um, it makes a huge difference and it changes how little girls see themselves. So part of the whole victimology of women is cultural, right? Oh yeah. Objectification. And yeah, yeah, when I, I have a presentation that I do and I talk about vulnerabilities and when a man, a group of men or an entire culture sees women for only being good for a few things, they're vulnerable. Like that makes the women vulnerable because of the attitudes of the men. But, but yeah, I mean, in Frozen, I loved when the special, the, the special, mo- whatever it was, the, the thing that would break the curse was this special love and it wasn't the dude. <laughs> you know. And that was, it was like the love between her and her sister. Um, 
But yeah, seeing some of the strong female roles that have been coming out and, and yeah, little girls seeing, I can, I can do great things. I don't have to just be limited to these roles or the, the cultural things that used to really hang around a woman's neck, which still do in other countries and other cultures. But I'm so excited about what you're doing. That's, this is very cool. I'm, I would say good idea to watch Finding Jen's Voice, but then recommend it to a bunch of people. You know, like that's how education happens is really just reaching a larger number. So I, I am planning on watching it tonight. I'm, right. <laughs> I, I heard about it. I've been excited about it for a while. And now even after hearing you talk about it more, I'm like, okay, got to see this. Um, and we'll be sharing it. And we will be sharing it here on, you know, through podcast and video. But thank you so much, Tracy, for, for what you're doing and how you're pouring your life into this mission to raise awareness around this issue that is impacting so many women around the world. Thank you. Thanks for sharing the, uh, the information and thanks for what you're doing. It's very cool. We need to have more positive, um, more positivity out there and people just need to understand that, you know, you know, I'm not doing anything special. We can all do it. We can all just change the world. It's part of at the least, collective will. Yes, at least look for something. And look, look right. for something. So for those of you that joined us, thank you for being here today. Thanks for joining this Impact Conversation. If you enjoyed this episode and would like information about upcoming Impact Conversations that will be as interesting or more and different topics, um, look below for the link and you can subscribe, join, you can also nominate someone who you think would be a really great guest on Impact Conversations. Thank you for joining us and keep looking for ways to positively impact our world. Don't forget to subscribe and join us next week for another Impact Conversation.